We're going to start a series tonight uh, called The Church, God's People on Mission, okay? And uh, I want to start it with a question. Some of you will be familiar with it, some of you won't. If you know the answer, go ahead and uh, let me hear you. Wrong. What is the church? We are. We are. That's right. And that's a beautiful refrain. And it's, it's a, a huge chunk of the work that needs to be put into properly understanding what the Bible means when we're talking about the church is accomplished in the fact that you can answer that that way. That you understand that you, being those that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that you are the church. Uh, and we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks exploring further the doctrine of the church. And this is in preparation for the next series, which is going to be eight weeks of looking at the essential doctrines of Christianity. This eight-week series is going to serve as the theological prerequisite for membership at Love City Church. And before we give anyone an opportunity to be a member here, we want to make sure that we all have a healthy and, more importantly, a biblical understanding of what a church is and what it's supposed to be. Okay? So that's where we're headed. We're going to start with getting some understanding from the Scriptures about the church. And there is much confusion today surrounding the subject of the church. Uh, Many people do believe that it's a building where Christians meet. A lot of people are under that assumption. They think a church is a building with a steeple and uh, typically has some type of pulpit inside of it. We use this because it's really fancy. Um, But uh, a lot of people think that churches are are bricks and buildings, and it's not. It's it's God's people. And uh, the, the... The unfortunate reality is that this leads to the tragedy of Christians going to church instead of being the church. The mentality also leads to a duality of lifestyle that is not fruitful for the Christian, nor is it a good witness to the unbeliever. When you go to church, oftentimes you put on your best clothes and behavior for that couple hours a week, and then go out from there and blend back in to the unbelievers around you with little distinction from them in love, language, or lifestyle. When you are the church, in contrast, so you don't just go to church, but when you are the church, it's not a couple of hours a week gig. There's no division between your spiritual life and the rest of your life. You are the church 24-7. And that's inextricably woven into the fabric of your identity, that you are the church. Being the church is what we are called to. And it causes us to avoid the criticism of being hypocrites that sometimes we live up to. The number one definition um, in the online Merriam-Webster dictionary for the church is a building for public and especially Christian worship. We clearly can't trust old Webster on this one, okay? So we're going to have to do some of our own groundwork and uh, lay out a a New Testament biblical definition for what the church is, okay? Okay. Uh, The Greek word translated church, which the original language New Testament was written in is Greek. So the Greek word that is translated church in the English Bible is ekklesia. And what that means is the called out ones. Okay? So it's got little reference to the building or the place where they meet. And that's important, right? Because here's the deal. We are the church. And so it doesn't matter if we meet in this basement or we meet under a large oak tree or in a tunnel somewhere or wherever we come together and gather, we are the church. And that's important because buildings change. They fall down. Uh, situations change with rent and, and some, some churches have to sell buildings. Some churches have to move. And there's people that their, their, their identity and their understanding of what the church is is tied to a location. And that's just not accurate. It's not real. And it's not what, it's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about the church. 
So ecclesia is that Greek word, and it means the called out ones. The church is the people of God, those who have been redeemed by grace through faith in Christ and His finished work on the cross. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 12 and 13 says this, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So any person that's a Christian is a part of the universal church and a part of the universal body of Christ. So the biggest and widest definition of the church I think we can come up with is all Christians everywhere throughout all of time. Everyone okay with that? That's the big wide definition, okay, of, of the universal body of Christ or church. Um, the church, however, also has local expressions or smaller bodies within that larger body, like Love City, for example, or many of the faithful uh, churches around this area. Uh, the question that then arises is, what does it take to be a local church? Is it simply the gathering of any number of Christians? Can a few people get together, pray over a meal, eat it, maybe even sing some songs, and that be a local church? Does, does that fit the bill? What what are the requirements, if any? Um, and you may find yourself, some of you right now are struggling not to check out. You're asking the question already, like, why, why does this matter? Why, how does this apply to me? You know, apparently this guy didn't go to preacher school because you're supposed to make it apply to me. We'll, we'll get there, but one second. Let, let, me just, let me just give you this. Here's part of why this matters. We live in a day that was prophesied in the scriptures long ago where many people are falling away and being deceived by the false doctrines of men and demons. That's true. I don't know how plugged in you are to what's going on, but there's a lot of stuff flying underneath the banner of church and gospel and uh, Bible that isn't. Okay? So there's many places that claim to be churches that do not bear the marks of one. And because God has put a shepherd's heart in me, I, I deeply care about you. Some of you I've not even met. I, I see a lot of faces in here tonight, people that I've never even met before. However, just the way God made me, and really all of us that have been loved so deeply and greatly by Christ, we should all have this, this same love for every person. I care deeply that you do not fall into that category that's talked about in the book of Timothy, where you fall away to the deceitful doctrines of, of lying men and demons. I care that you are walking in the truth and that you are walking with Jesus, who is our King. I believe that it's imperative that we all have wisdom and discernment to identify whether a church truly does belong to Jesus. Because there are some places that call themselves churches that don't belong to Jesus. And that's a, that's a different team. That's a whole different deal than what we're doing here. And I want you to apply this judgment or this scrutiny or this discernment to this church or any church that you would ever contemplate being a part of. You should not be a part of a fellowship that does not have or do what the New Testament says a church should. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Now, there's three things that uh, historically, there's three marks historically, um, ever since the Protestant Reformation, that have kind of stuck. There's different, there's been back and forth. Some people have argued that maybe it's too many, maybe it's not enough. I believe there's three marks of a true church that have kind of stood the test of time. You find them in the New Testament. They're very relevant. 
Not, you don't have to stretch to find them. And so here's what those are. I'll give you all three, and then we'll go back and look at each one. Here are the things that you should look for. Here are the things that should be present in a church that belongs to Jesus. The first is gospel proclamation or the preaching of the gospel. If a place claims to be a church and the gospel's not being preached, there's something really critical missing, right? I've got to slow down or I'll expound on that now. So that's number one. Number two. That one gets me fired up. Number two is the, the proper administration. The, oftentimes the word sacraments is used. The proper administration of the sacraments. And so what we're talking about there is, is baptism and communion. Okay? Here at Love City, we, we use the word ordinance because the word sacrament um, is, is favored by certain denominations and, and even uh, oftentimes the Catholic Church. And this is not me getting in an argument with them, but it's, it's, there's, a, there's a denotation with the word sacrament that ties it to salvation. We do not believe communion or even water baptism are required for salvation. We believe they're both required for obedience. However, it is by faith in Christ alone that we are saved. Okay, And so uh, we'll use the word ordinance, but the proper administration of the ordinances that were handed down to us by Christ. It's very clear in the New Testament, Christians should be baptized. Yes or no? Very clear. Yes. And that should happen in any church that is faithful to Jesus. Communion. Jesus instituted it, right? It should happen. Okay? The third thing, (laughs) and we'll save the, the one that's most fun for last, that's church discipline. Okay? So we'll have a great time on that one. Um, so here we go. First of all, gospel proclamation. Turn with me to Romans one sixteen, if you would. Romans one sixteen. Now, while you're turning there, what I want to do, we're talking about gospel proclamation. Okay. And Romans one sixteen is going to back up why that's important and why any faithful church that belongs to Jesus should do that. Um, but before we do that, I want to just lay out for you what we mean when we say gospel. Here is the gospel. Gospel means good news. Okay, Here is the good news as the Bible puts it forth. The good news actually starts with bad news. And here's where sometimes gospel proclamation is not done in its totality and it's not done purely. You really The good news of the gospel doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't first communicate the bad news. Here's the bad news. Every single human is separated from God by sin, including you. And that is one of the most loving things I could ever say to you. You may not like to hear that. You may have some alternative perspective or philosophy that says to you, you're, you're ultimately in, in, in the deepest part of your heart a good person. The Bible, for us, is the ultimate source of truth. Every other truth submits itself to what the Scriptures have to say. The Scriptures are clear that we are sinners by nature and choice, that we all are sinners, and that we are all in desperate need of a Savior. We were separated from God by sin, first in the garden, and then all of us individually. We are separated from God by our sin. There is an impassable gulf between us and God that could not be bridged ourselves. There's no way we could get to God because of our sin, because what the, the ultimate command of God is to be perfect or to be holy as He is holy. And that's real bad news, isn't it? If you, some of you already know the good news, but if all I was doing right now was telling you the bad news, this is the first time you've heard of any of this, it's like, hold on a second. In order for me to be in relationship with God, I have to be perfect? Anybody in here still doing okay? You shouldn't be. 
Like right there, right? Other than the fact that it's incredibly humid here, like more sweat should be building on your brow, right? Because none of us is perfect. And oftentimes we're real quick to throw that out. Well, well nobody's perfect as if that's justification for our sin. It, no, it's, that's the ultimate bad news. And just because none of us is perfect doesn't mean we all get in by default. Oh, well, we all screwed up, so surely we're okay. No, the fact that none of us is perfect points to the fact that every single one of us is in desperate need of the love of Christ and the redemption that comes through the cross. So the bad news is we're separated from God by sin. However, here comes the good news. God made a way that we could be reconciled, and here's how he did it. It's amazing. This, that's why amazing grace makes so much sense, because this doesn't even seem right. God sends his son to be born of a virgin, live a absolutely perfect sinless life. Then he has to pay the price that all of us should have paid. He, the one that had no sin, the one that didn't do anything to deserve it, he had to take the beating. He had to take the nails that you and I deserve because of our sin. He took the death that all of us should have died after he lived the life that none of us could have lived. He paid the price that all of us should have paid and God saw fit to call that justice. And not only did Jesus die on that cross, the really good news is he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And that, that showed everybody he was exactly who he said he was. Because if he'd have stayed dead, we're in trouble, right? We're in a lot of trouble. Like all that stuff he said all of a sudden doesn't mean a whole lot. But he didn't. He rose from the grave. Many, many witnesses saw him. And every one of his apostles, save one, died as a martyr claiming that that was true. You know, people like to question the resurrection. People like to say, oh, well, maybe he never actually died. Pay attention to what the Bible says happened to the man's body. It's foolishness, and I don't have time to go into it. Jesus did die. He was wrapped in 100 pounds of burial linens and spices, put in a tomb. The tomb sealed. Three days later, he did rise from the dead. I know there's stories about, oh, well, you know, they snuck in and got his body. There's all kinds of reasons why that's poppycock. So if you've got time, go research it. If you're really interested, come talk to me afterwards. I really like talking about it. But the bottom line is he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And declared to us that victory was won over death, hell, and the grave. So, and here's, here's the thing. It's, he, he didn't rise from death and say, okay, I did all the heavy lifting. Now, here's, here's a, a list of some, some good behaviors and stuff that I need you to do in response to what I've done. And then you can go to heaven. That's not what he said. And, and I would expect that. Like, I'm condemned to death. Somebody comes and makes a way that I don't have to be dead anymore. They can tell me anything they want. And I'm going to pretty much do it, Right? Doesn't that seem fair? I would expect more expectation from the master than, here's what I want you to do. Um, just, just believe that I just did what I did. That's right. Who got the better end of that deal? And we act like Christianity is so hard. It's not, man. We believe in the best news that's ever been told. And because we believe it and because we're so enamored by it, we share it with others. So uh, that's what we mean by the gospel that we were separated by God, uh, from God by our sin and that Jesus made a way that we could be reconciled to him. That is the good news of the gospel. And it is the most important message that we can share. Now, read. Uh, let's read Romans 1, verse 16, okay? Give you a lot of time to flip. If you didn't make it on that one, we'll have to <clears throat> show you where Romans is later. That was five minutes of page turning time. Okay, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is it. Here's what I want to ask you. Do you really believe this? Do you, do you live as if this is true? The gospel message has the power to soften and change men's hearts like nothing else. However, we often shrink back from sharing it because I think some of us are not convinced of what Paul is trying to tell us in Romans 1.16. The very message of the hope of the gospel coming to the ears of an unsaved person has power to do things in them that no other set of words could ever do. The good news of the gospel is endowed itself with power. Because it's, it's the news, man. It is, it's not just good news. It's the news of all news that's ever been newsed. It's the one you need to hear, man. I got a finger snap in the back. I haven't had one of those yet. That's good. We'll mark that down. Uh, it is our great jewel. The gospel... As Christians, it is our great jewel. It's our primary message. And without the gospel, we would not and should not exist. Let's hear from Charles Spurgeon. He was quoted as saying this. A time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. Mm. Is he going to go there? Yep. Here we go. Many, many of America's pulpits today are filled with mush-mouthed, jelly-spined hirelings who care much, much more about telling a good story or a really funny joke than they do preaching the gospel. Here's, here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not a total hater. I, I understand, and I'm not saying that there's never a good place for, for a, a good story to help illustrate and, and undergird and point to the gospel. There's... Teaching with stories is a great thing. Jesus did that, didn't he? Telling a funny joke. There's no problem with that. In context of ultimately pointing to the truth of the gospel, a funny joke, sometimes it's appropriate. Sometimes it's got its place in a sermon. But neither one of these things can be our great end. It can't be the, the focal point, the thing that we focus on. It all has to be in the context of ultimately lifting up Jesus whom is our king, and his gospel, which is the great good news. The gospel has the power, not the most winsome or entertaining talk. Talk. That bothers me too. Um, insert rant. Here we go. And maybe this, should, maybe this shouldn't bother me. I don't know. Someone was like, he's not ranting yet? My God. Um, no, I'm just telling the truth, man. I had a scripture for the last one. This one, we'll, we'll, you can click off if you want to. We're going to journey off into Pastor Vince's opinion for a second. However, um, people today, oftentimes, they don't even want to say they're preaching a sermon. It's, it's I'm giving a talk, okay? Now, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, get out a stone tablet and try to chisel out and say, I'm 100% sure that's always a bad idea. Um, it just seems wishy-washy to me. What are we talking about? I'm preaching a sermon to you, okay? We can talk later. We can get some of that cake my wife made. Man, it looked good. But y'all Christians probably ate it all, knowing you. We can sit down and talk later, man. There's something different when you get behind the holy table and you're dealing with the scriptures. We talk every day, but maybe it's appropriate because a lot of times I think it is 
just getting up and, and talking about everything but what is the thing that matters most, which is the gospel. Okay? Personal rant. I'll get off from that now. And we'll talk about something else. Um, here's the thing. I need, to, I need to lovingly say something to you. Um, you, have as much, you have as much need for more entertainment in your life as you do a hole in the head. Every single one of you, man. We are entertained. Many of us are entertained into a zombie-like catatonic state. We are so overstimulated by entertainment. It is at our fingertips all the time. Many of us are overstimulated and over-entertained. I, I don't want to bore you to death, but what, what I want to happen when you come and God allows me to represent him and preach the word to you is not that you think, man, that guy's funny. And he told a good story. No, I want you to be drawn into the very presence of Almighty God and to be broken over your sin. Yes. Yes. Or broken over the pain of others. I want the scriptures to come in and weave in and out and throughout your heart and dig up all of the things that don't belong there. God's in the business of breaking men and women and building them back the way he needs them. If you don't like that, if you don't even like the fact that I said that, then pride has gripped your heart. I welcome God's Spirit coming and breaking me every time that I, that I come into His presence. Every day, all day, really. Lord, come, because I realize I need it. I'm prone to pride. I'm prone to stray in thought, word, and deed. I'm prone to sin, and I need God's correction. I, I don't want to be entertained when I come to a church service. That's not the point. I would much rather be convicted and drawn close to the presence of Almighty God. Many of us, and of course, you know, people will say things like, well, yeah, they, they may not preach the gospel, but there's so many people there, they must be doing something right. Oh, man, I want to slam my head into something when I hear something like that. Like, <laughs> sometimes it just relieves the pressure on the inside. Um, okay, of course people are going to flock to these talks, and I did not mean to rhyme that, so am I a rapper? Yes, um, but it's an accident, so of course people are going to flock to that because, yes, everybody wants to be entertained. Yes, everybody wants their lifestyle to be affirmed. Being challenged and convicted by God's holy presence is not comfortable, but it does not change the fact that it is one of the most precious gifts he gives us. Conviction is a gift, it's much like the same, you know, many times people get, get all weirded out and can't understand how, you know, there's so much pain in the world and, and God's loving and all-powerful and they phrase the question, you know, 10 different ways. But here's the reality. Here's what I'm really glad about. When I, if I just perchance set my hand on a hot stove, there's, God has put nerves and, 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 and signals in my body that will tell me, brother, get your hand off the stove. It's called pain. And it works emotionally too. There's certain things that if we continue to do them, it will cause pain for us and those around us. And what that's supposed to do is not cause us to pridefully shake our fist at God, but it's, called us to, it's supposed to cause us to do what it did for the prodigal son. That when that pain begins to grip your heart, you should stand up and look at a mirror. Not, not jeer at God as if it's his fault, but when you feel that pain, you should check yourself. And it's a gift from God. Conviction is a gift. And one of the times that it happens primarily 
is during the proper proclamation and preaching of the gospel. Because if you notice, a a, a preacher that wants to do that correctly is going to spend probably some time during the sermon dealing with the bad news, whatever the specific is. Many of us struggle in this area, but here's the good news. There's a way out. Redemption in Christ, repentance. And there's always a way of escape because Jesus is faithful. Okay? Um, So that's gospel proclamation. So we're talking three marks of of a, a true church that belongs to Jesus. The gospel should be preached. If it's not being... If it's, if it's all stories and jokes, um, if it's really entertaining, but you're not hearing that pure gospel, uh, there's reason for alarm. Okay? Second mark of a true church. Proper administration of sacraments or ordinances, which is the word we'll use. Uh, so proper administration of ordinances, okay? Um, and we use the word ordinance because it denotes the symbolic nature of these acts as opposed to it uh, having any real connection to your salvation. Okay? Uh, Turn with me to Romans 6, if you would. Should just be a few pages from where you were. Romans 6, and we're going to start in verse 3. Um, The first ordinance we're going to talk about is baptism. Okay? And I don't want to I don't want to spend a lot of time harping on mode of baptism. Let me, I'll just say this. For us here at Love City, um, the reason we <laughs> go through the trouble of filling a horse trough is we believe that um, the best that we can tell that immersing somebody in water is, is the proper mode of baptism. Now, some churches, they'll sprinkle people. Um, and and I, I'm not going to be a real crusader against that. That's not really the point. I'm more interested in the fact that people... Uh, have a high value on baptism because Jesus was baptized. So that's probably a good thing to follow. And then um, all through the rest of the New Testament, man, just look around. People were baptized and it's clearly held up as something that should be done. Um, so let's let's read Romans 6, uh, verses 3 through 7, Okay. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Okay? So here's what we see in that. We see uh, it talking about in baptism that we are are dying with Christ. Okay? Well, we know that no matter, no mode of baptism that you could be found on the planet is somebody really dying. So what we see is the language of of symbolism. And so if if baptism is meant to symbolize the, the death that Christ died and his resurrection. That is why we take people down into the water. That is what we do. Uh, bottom line, baptism is clearly an ordinance that's handed down to us from the scriptures and it should be practiced. Um, we, you know, this is a, a, a temporary space for us that we've rented. Um, and we've been really blessed to do so. We're really thankful for it. Um, but a permanent baptismal, I, I was trying to think about how to get a backhoe down here and just dig a little 
pond, but that's not going to work. So uh, that's, that's why we do the, uh, <clears throat> the steel maiden there. And, um, but we're, I'm glad about it because what it allows us to kind of quickly be flexible because we've had so many people, man, coming to the Lord and then they're coming up saying, you know, Pastor Vince, I need to get baptized. And so, I mean, we're excited about that. So we fill that thing up like a lot. It, it just happens a lot. So um, we're glad about it. And I've talked to a, a buddy of mine that's a pastor. He does a lot of outreach ministry downtown. We're, I mean, we're talking about throwing that thing in the back of a truck this summer and just going on the road, man, and um, baptizing folks downtown. So the horse trough's going to get it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to put in some work. So Praise God. I know some of you came in like, they got livestock in this church? Like, what is the business? One of those places. Okay. No, nope, nope, nope. That's the baptismal. All right. Uh, so baptism, right? We do it. It's good. Bottom line. Um, communion. Okay. So that's the second ordinance that we believe was handed down by Christ that should be practiced by a faithful church. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 records the historical event known as the Last Supper. Most of you have probably seen the picture. Um, even if you haven't read the story, but uh, the Last Supper happened, and that's where Jesus institutes the ordinance of communion. And here's what he says about it. He says to do it often, um, and he says to do it in remembrance of him. And so we take communion every week here at Love City. We do it at the end of the service. We're going to do it at the end of this service. Um, And what we believe is that communion is a beautiful time to respond to what it is God has taught us through the Word. And so we do that at the end, after the preaching, and uh, communion is, is it's beautiful because it's one of the only places where two things can happen simultaneously. At, at, one, th- at one point, you're, you're celebrating as you hold those elements in your hand. We use juice and a, a bit of cracker to represent uh, the, the blood of Christ and his, and his bruised body on our behalf. And so we hold those elements and we think about the sacrifice that he paid. We think about how amazing grace is and how the fact that he took that sacrifice and that he made a way for us to be redeemed. And somehow him paying the price means we can be justified again as we hold those elements that we are forced to remember and to reckon with the beauty of the gospel. And so we do that. We celebrate. But simultaneously, as we're celebrating the goodness of Christ, we're also coming to a point of reckoning. We're dealing with our own hearts. We're letting the Holy Spirit come and purge us of pride and sin of all sorts and kinds. And we're, we're being convicted by God's Spirit. And so it's a beautiful, blessed time of, of two things going on at once that you'll find, I don't believe, anywhere else in life. And I'm really glad that Jesus instituted for us the ordinance of communion because I don't know about you, but the pace of life today, and, and maybe my own propensities, I don't know, but I am prone to forget. I am prone to get wrapped up in the day-to-day. I am prone to get distracted and to think about things that matter much, much less than the truth of the gospel. And so every time I take communion, I'm brought back front and center to the the beautiful fact that I've been saved by grace and that through the shed blood of Christ. And so uh, that's why we do that. And every faithful church should take communion. Every faithful church, you don't have to take communion every week to be a faithful church. Please don't let me... uh, misrepresent that. Uh, there's room for interpretation on uh, doing it often in remembrance of me. Those are the words that Jesus said. He said, do this often in remembrance of me. Um, I, I could probably use it more than once a week even. So, you know, it concerns me uh, when it's, you know, once a year type of thing. Um, 
I'm going to take communion more than that. You're welcome to do what you want, but uh, I need to be brought to remembrance and conviction and into that place of God's presence more often than that. Okay? Uh, I promised you uh, the last one would be the most fun, and I'm sure it will. Uh, So we've got (laughs) gospel proclamation. Marks of the true church. There's three. Gospel proclamation, proper administration of ordinances, baptism and communion, right? So here's the third, church discipline. Woo, we don't like that, do we? Man, we don't like being disciplined by anybody. We are all autonomous. We make our own decisions. Ain't nobody going to tell me nothing about nothing. I'm just paraphrasing most of your attitudes, okay? Um, Okay, (laughs) church discipline. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5, okay? Most of us think when I turn 18, the only discipline I'm getting is if I get caught doing something bad by the police. Other than that, I am on my own, determining my own standards, and I'm not going to answer to anybody, okay? I'm out from underneath the foot of my oppressive parents and now free to do what I want. Well, I'm a professional bubble burster, so here we go. 1 Corinthians uh, 5. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to do it really fast, okay? And then we'll talk about it. You're going to like it. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Okay? We don't... Like, we don't really talk like this. The language is a little different. But everyone understand what's going on so far? Everyone with me? Okay. Now, we don't know if it's his stepmom or his actual mom. I don't care. It's gross. Okay? It's bad. Uh, (laughs) And here's the worst part. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in the spirit and... As if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, Do not even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Last line. Purge the evil person from among you. Okay. There's so much to be said in this. However, I'm just going to highlight a few things about church discipline and why uh, any church that's faithful to Christ needs to have leadership in place that has enough spine to deal with sin. Okay, so uh, the, the first few verses, essentially what's going on is Paul is saying, okay, so here's the deal. I heard about the guy and his mom. Here's also what I've heard. You guys are boasting about it. You're proud. Like you feel like because of, of grace and forgiveness that it's cool for this guy just to continue on doing this. And then Paul's going to respond to that mentality. Um, he says, no, that's wrong. Deliver this guy to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And he says, your boasting is not good. And he compares it to, 
He says, don't, don't you know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Here's the thing. If, if leadership will not deal with sin, and, and here's what you need to be convinced of. If you are struggling in sin, um, and, and it's not just sexual sin. I know that's what's referenced here. Uh, the book of Titus uh, talks about people that stir up strife or that gossip, and, and even once they're warned about it, they refuse to repent. Uh, it says to put them out of, of the church as well. Here's, here's, what's, here's what's going on. If, if leadership will not lovingly deal with sin, if they will not confront sin, then everybody sees that and they think, it's cool. Let's just do what we want, right? There's no authority. I mean, apparently Jesus doesn't care. Now we can get on the internet and tell everybody Jesus doesn't care. I mean, that's the equivalent of what's going on here. This, this church is saying, yeah, yeah, this, this dude's sleeping with his mom and we're all about it. And Paul's, I mean, I can... <laughs> I can relate to Paul, man. I think he wished he'd have been there as opposed to write a letter about this. And you're getting real quiet. I'm talking about sexual sin, so that's fun. I'm also talking about church discipline, which we're not thrilled about because we live in the postmodern age where I am my own God. Here's the deal. Um, If you're going to operate properly within the context of a local church body, then the book of Hebrews says that you do have to submit to leadership. It's uncomfortable for me to say this. I wish I could get someone else to come up and say it because I know you and you're going, isn't that a little self-serving guy? I don't want to do this. I'm like, I'm like, you know, with Lucy, it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you. You know, um, thankfully she's pretty obedient. Uh, cause she's so cute, man. It's really hard to discipline her. Um, but some of you are not as cute as her. And so it'd be easier, but, uh, <laughs> look at the ceiling, look at the ceiling. Um, so, but here's the thing. Uh, here's what you need to be convinced of. It's, it, this, is, this is the God's honest truth. I love Lucy much more if I, will, if I will snatch her up out of the street and spank her for playing in the street than I am to just say, you know what? I don't want to offend her. I don't want to break her little spirit. Go ahead, sweetie. Yeah, just play in the street. Uh, listen, I know you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. I know we, we, all, we all have God's spirit and, and, and we all have the scriptures. However, uh, it is clear that all of us should be willing to submit to leadership. I've got guys in my life, other pastors, men that have been doing this longer than me. They know if they see or even think for a second that I'm getting off path, if they hear me say something that is off color, they are deputized by King Jesus himself to smacketh me upside the back of the head. It sounds it has more authority when you use old English. So I added the, the if to the end of smack. But um, I want that. And here's what Proverbs says. The, the, the person who hates discipline is a fool. Did he just call me a fool? No, no, no. Proverbs did. I'm just relaying the message. Listen. If it makes you uncomfortable to think about church discipline or somebody challenging you about sin in your life or anything like that, here's the, here is the flat-out deal. You've got pride in your heart. You've got pride in your heart, and you're going to have to deal with that, or else you will not be able to function properly within a church body. We should be able to lovingly challenge each other, uh, all of us that are close together. Some, you know, I don't know the intimate details of all of your lives. That's why we're supposed to be in community together, we're supposed to have open lives, walking together in the light as he is in the light so that we can lovingly challenge each other if needed. And also, uh, if somebody that God has put in our life as leadership, uh, you know, stops us and says, hey, I think you should think different about this, um, we should see that as a beautiful gift. 
because here's the thing, man, like there's a lot of parents that don't love their kids enough to discipline them. And so like, I'm, I'm grateful. Like I had like pretty strict parents and, and ultimately looking back at it though, like I was a foolhardy young man and would have meandered into much more stupidity <laughs> had they given me the leash to do so. And so God, you know, God's plan was ultimately in place and helping me uh, not die an early death, but also, um, man, I just, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the men of God in my life that got the guts to tell me if I'm wrong, flat out. So you can do what you want with that. I believe that's scripturally the right way to think about it. I'm glad somebody loves me enough to challenge me, even though that might be uncomfortable, right? Because confrontation is not fun. If a church is not exhibiting pure and bold gospel proclamation, if the ordinances being communion and baptism are not in place or not being administered, and if church discipline is not in place, I would encourage you to uh, rethink being a part of that fellowship. These are historically the marks that have been a, a compass to point to whether or not a church really and truly belongs to Jesus. And that matters. I don't want to worship another God, another idol. I don't want to worship some guy and his personality and how good his stories and jokes are. I worship Jesus. Because he's the one that saved me. He's the one that paid the price. He's the one that was there when the world was created. He's the one that was there uh, when I was broken and lost and hurting. Jesus is the one that made a way. He's the one that's earned my worship. Nobody else even comes close. My allegiance is his. And we're, uh, we're going to have a few people declare that as well tonight through water baptism. So really excited about that. Um, gentlemen that are helping me with communion, would you please get that ready? Um, like I told you before, uh, we do take communion every week as a part of our response. And, uh, I just want to say this. Some of you may be here. You may be visiting, seeing a baptism, or uh, you, this may be your first time, or could be a variety of reasons. If you're here today, you're within the sound of my voice, and you are not a Christian, if you have not put faith in Christ for salvation, if you do not consider yourself a Christian, I would ask that you don't partake of communion. And that's not because we want to exclude you. That's because holding these elements and taking these elements is, 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 is in a way, it's a profession of belief in what they represent. We don't want you to lie. And uh, we want to be faithful to the scriptures. However, you may have came in the doors today, not a Christian, and uh, you've heard the bad news and the good news. We're separated from God, but Jesus made a way. If you want to put faith in Christ today, you can do that, and you're welcome to take communion with us. As a matter of fact, if you do that today, and you take communion with us, you put faith in Christ, and you want to be water baptized, we got extra towels and clothes. So the baptismal's open. Um, it's, it's never... It's never closed. So as many people as want to jump in and declare that Jesus is Lord, we'd love to have you do that, okay? So uh, if you're not a Christian, don't intend on becoming one today. Please don't take communion. You can become a Christian today. If you're a Christian, it does not matter what denomination you are a part of. If you believe that Jesus paid the price for your sins, and that's the reason that you're going to be with God in eternity, then you're welcome to take communion with us. It doesn't matter what denomination you're a part of, okay? Um, We welcome you to do that. Um, a few questions. I told you that we do two things simultaneously as we take communion. The first is we celebrate. We hold these elements and we remember. We remember the goodness of Christ. We remember the sacrifice. We remember the fact that grace is amazing. We remember that the mercy 
that He's given us is undeserved. We remember the fact that He loved us before we ever loved Him. We remember the fact that we were broken and separated from God, but His shed blood and His bruised body paid the price that we all should have paid. So we remember these things. And, and to the regenerate heart, to the person that is a Christian, we should not be able to remember these things and not celebrate. It, it, it should be inextricable. I, if I'm thinking about the goodness of Christ and what he did on the cross, I should, my heart should leap in my chest with great joy. If it doesn't, then I would encourage you today, pray and ask God to come by his Holy Spirit and renew in you an excitement and, and a fervor and a passion for what happened at the cross. Because every time we remember it, we should celebrate it. However, we also want to take this time, and, and uh, the Bible does talk about uh, this being a time of reflection and a time of uh, repentance. And so a few questions, you know, the standard things when we take communion every week, I, I, I've tried to train you and I, and I hope I've done a good job. Every week as these elements are being passed out, what you should be doing is taking an inventory of your heart. Is there anybody you haven't forgiven? Because that's not going to fly. You've got to forgive everybody. Are there sins that have happened, thought, word, or deed this week? Things that you've done that you know were a violation of God's command. This will be a time to repent. I should have done a better job explaining. As that communion is coming through, you can take a cup and take a cracker, and if you just want to hold that, We'll, uh, we'll take communion together. If you already did because I didn't explain, well, hallelujah, you can just pray with us. So I want to ask you these couple questions to assess yourself. We should always, we should always be looking and, and having a time of introspection during communion and, and letting the Lord convict us. However, here's a couple questions that I, I want you to contemplate. Um, do you love the church? What's your response when I say that? Do you love the church? Or have you been burnt by the church? Or did you have a bad experience with the church and now your idea of the church is mostly hypocrites? There are hypocrites in church, but there are hypocrites at your job and the grocery store where you shop and everywhere else. And so that is not justification to separate yourself from God's people. We're called to be in community together and be a part of a local church. Do you love the church? Are you glad to be counted among God's people? Oh, yes. Does your life reflect more of a go-to-church mentality or a be-the-church mentality? Does your life reflect that you go to church or does your life reflect that you are the church? This is the question I'd like you to ask yourself. very easy, very easy to get stuck in, in a go-to-church mentality. It's very easy to put on that mask and fake it for a couple hours. Everyone, I mean, I've known people that have been real good at it. They can come in, they can give you a smile, a hallelujah. How you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. They know all the language to say because they know they can fake it through that two hours, but then they leave there and one of two things typically is going on. Either one, they're broken. They're deeply broken in their heart. They're hurting and they're desperate. And they just went to the one place where it's, if there's one place you're going to be broken and hurting and desperate, it's among God's people. 
I'm so tired of people coming to church thinking that's where you polish up, dress up, get it together, come and act straight for two hours. Act right for two hours. If you're going to be busted or broken or hurting or desperate anywhere, come do it among God's people so we can love you and encourage you and pray for you and lift you up. That's how that's supposed to look. Oftentimes they'll be broken or or people will come in and the minute they step out the door, it's like the mask comes off and they're a totally different person. All week long they live a life that reflects nothing of what the scriptures say. Neither one of these things are okay. And so I encourage us all to commit to Jesus today that we will be the church. That it won't just be a gig once a week, not just a place that we go to, but that we'll do as we've been called to and be the church. Give you just a couple moments of silence. Speak to the Lord and I'll lead you through this communion together. The Bible records that on the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. He said, this is my body that's broken for you. Take and eat it. Do it often in remembrance of me. You can partake of the bread. The Bible records in the same manner he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it often and do it in remembrance of me. You can partake of the cup. Lord God, we are so grateful for communion. Lord, we're thankful for the church. We're thankful for your word, Lord, that tells us what should be evident in a group of people that they claim to be yours. God, if we're going to come together, the gospel should be preached. It is our great jewel. The good news of the gospel is the only message that matters. Lord, we're thankful that grace is amazing. We're thankful that, we're thankful that, it's, it's, that the gospel is as scandalous as it is because it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't seem like justice was served. How is it that I don't pay the price for my sins? That's how life works. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. That's the way it works everywhere else. And yet you saw fit to let somebody else pay my price. And that was King Jesus. And I don't, I don't even totally understand, God, how you see that as justice. But I am so glad that you do. And I'm so glad that your word has made it clear to me that that's what's true. That, that what I must do to be saved is to believe in the beautiful gospel. Thank you, God. Thank you that you didn't tie me being reconciled to you to to me being able to do a bunch of good stuff because I'm so bad at doing the good stuff. I fail so often. So many times my mind wanders and, and, and I stumble into sin. But I thank you, God, that you are willing and able and faithful to forgive me Every single time you let me come and cast my filth at the foot of the cross and you trade me all of my sin and my failures and my struggles. You trade me those things and you give me back joy and peace 
and forgiveness. Nobody else is offering me that deal. And it is this that causes me to worship you. It is this that causes me to celebrate your great name. And God, let me worship now as if these things are true. Let me worship, Lord, now as we sing this song to you, God. Let me worship in light of the beauty of the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.